May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Everyone knows what it feels like to be worried about fitting in, to feel like you might not belong somewhere or that maybe you're out of place. Every one of us knows what that feels like. There's a commercial on television right now. I think it's a Subaru commercial. And it begins with this father standing on the street corner, and he's got his little kindergarten-age daughter, and he's holding her hand, and they're standing there waiting for the bus to come. Perhaps you've seen this one. And, um, and you can tell that this little girl was really nervous about her first day of school. And she's all kind of anxious and everything. And you can feel it for the dad, too. You can tell he's just as anxious as she is. But he tries to kind of fake a little bit of confidence, and he... He looks down at her and he says, so are you excited for your first day? And she looks at him and, and there's just no hiding it. You know, her face is all scrunched up and she says, yeah, you know, that sort of thing. And just then the bus pulls up and the door opens and the little girl, you know, reaches, lets go of the hand, goes up that first step and the second one and onto the bus. And you can see the dad's nervousness. You know, he's, he's really anxious for this little girl. He knows what it's like. And she gets on the bus, and he jumps in his Subaru, and uh, he races up ahead. And he looks up into the window of the bus, and he sees his little girl, and she's laughing and giggling and talking to what must be her newest best friend that she met 20 seconds ago. And you can tell everything's going to be just fine. You know, that she made it through. It wasn't as bad as she thought it might have been. It's a clever ad. It is. And and it's all predicated on this very same notion. All of us know what it's like to be anxious about fitting in. Oh, no, am I, am I going to be accepted? Are they going to want me, you know? Are they going to welcome me and, and be kind to me? We've all been there the first day of school, whether it's, you know, kindergarten or, you know, going into freshman year of high school or college or wherever it might be. First new job. Any new job, is that's a nervous one, isn't it? You know, you're shaking and you're, you're worried and you're perspiring and all that sort of stuff. A friend invites you to a book club. Okay, now, you like books, you know? Um, you like people. You like coffee or tea or bourbon. I don't know what they drink in your book club, but you know, they, you like all those things and you go and, but you're still nervous, you know? You're still, oh, a little anxious about this. What's this going to be like? And you know, you know the moment that you're accepted. Because someone tells a joke and they can include you in it. Or, or someone asks you a question about yourself, they're interested in you. Oh, they've affirmed me. Oh, I belong. It's so good. And, and so you know that. It's never as bad as we thought it would be. You get past the awkwardness, the, the little bit of weirdness about that, and, and, and then we're in. But there are other times... When the anxiety is, uh, is, is well-suited. The, the anxiety comes for a justified reason. There are places in the world where we just might not be accepted. As hard as it is to believe, there was a time in our own country, within many of our own lifetimes, where, where restaurants had signs in the window that said, No color. You know, where, where people were, were um, segregated and, and, and not allowed simply because of their heritage to come in. If you're a Latino or if you're African American, you're not wanted. Maybe you remember the story, 1960, 
uh, four university students, African-American, went into a, um, a Woolsworth uh, uh, diner in Greensboro, South Carolina. And they, it's Greensboro, North Carolina. It's North Carolina, is it? It's, well, they, anyway, they went to Greensboro, whatever Carolina it's in. And they go in and they, um, they sit down at the lunch counter. And, and of course, the, the attendant comes up and says, we have a whites-only policy at this counter. You're not welcome. They all ordered coffee and none of them were served. And they sat there from morning until night when the diner closed. And the next day, the same four men went back to that same Woolsworth and went in and sat down at the same counter and received the same thing. But this time, 20 more people came and did the same. And the next day, 60 people came and did the same. And by the end of the week, there are hundreds of people who are cramming into this little diner sitting on the floor and, um, and just simply asking to be served. Eventually, the company changed its policy, as did our country. But um, it was a difficult time, a time when the color of your skin made you persona non grata in the the Woolsworth um, lunch counter. But it's still the same. I mean, it might be that that the color of your skin today, whether you be white or black or brown or anywhere in between, uh, might be a place where you, you aren't welcome. Um, and maybe not just the color of your skin, maybe gender. You know, there are places in the world where, where um, you know, you know, I don't know, all women's college. You know, if you have, if you don't have a matched set of chromosomes, um, you know, you're not welcome. That's a scientific joke, and it'll take a minute, and you'll catch up with that one. You know, um, yeah. So there, there are there are places where um, where it's a, it's a, the men's only club. You know, there's this famous golf course. I won't mention it. You remember a couple of years ago, big bunch of pressure. You need to let women in. So they did. Two. <laughs> I guess that's plural, right? And so, you know, they've allowed that. But it's still a sense in which there are places in this world where you might not be welcome. And you know that. I know that. And that's why we get that anxiety. That's why we get that nervousness. We're going to a new place. They might not welcome us. Not everybody gets to sit at the cool kids' table. <laughs> I mean, is this the way it is, isn't it? I mean, this is the way the world works. Not everybody gets to sit there. And this isn't new to you. It's not new to me. And you know what? It's not new to the world. You can go back in history thousands and thousands of years. And this same thing keeps showing up again and again and again. It even happens in the life of God's own people, Israel. Israel is is chosen by God, called out to be um, his people. And they begin to believe that they are actually elite. You know, that we are, that from Israel, that there is this sense of, of specialness. And in fact, they have scripture to back them up. Exodus chapter 19, right before the Ten Commandments. You remember this. God's speaking to Moses. He says, tell, tell the people, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You shall be my special treasure. Segula in Hebrew. My, my very own special possession. You shall be my valuable property. My most valuable property. I don't know if you've had opportunity to go to London and go into the tower. But if you have, there are um, in the tower of London the, the crown jewels. 
of the family. So you go in there, and they are these, these, these diamonds and rubies and emeralds, and they're massive. And I was in there with a camera, and people were, the, the, the security said, put that camera away. Or, you know, I'm like, okay, one more second. You know, and so they're, 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 these are their special possession. I wonder if they lock people in the tower still, because I felt like I was really close to that for a moment. But anyway, these are our special treasure. And Israel, Israel begins to believe that that special treasure meant that they were better. They even began to demarcate themselves between Hebrews and the rest of the world, which was called Gentiles. You either Jew or Gentile. You know, and if you're, if you're wondering if you're in the club, it depends on which family you were born into. Are you a Jewish family or not? And so it was that when we came to the church, the church began to believe it began with all Jews. They just assumed naturally that the church was going to be an outgrowth of Judaism. And even if Gentiles came into the church, well, they would come in as sort of, hey, you're going to have to become Jewish. Men, surgery's involved in this. Everybody, you'll catch that one in a minute too. Everybody, you're going to have to um, keep a different diet. Kosher. You know, food has to be prepared in such a way. There are some foods that are off the menu. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to become Jewish effectively. This was the thinking in the early church. And, and even among the apostles, this was believed to be the case. But that really wasn't the plan of God. That wasn't the plan of God at all. It wasn't about making everybody uh, demarcated by what they ate and, and what, they, what kind of um, laws that they kept and dietary restrictions and all of that sort of thing. God said, really, there's another way I want to demarcate my people. Here's how you will know who belongs. It's not by their diet. It's not by the kind of clothes they wear. It's not even by the crosses that they wear around their necks or in their ears or get tattooed on their arms. I don't know, wherever you get your crosses. You know, it's not about that at all. Here's how we're going to know the people of God. By our love for one another and by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what's going to mark my people in the world. How will you know the people who belong to the church? How will you know the people who belong to the people of God? It's not by their hereditary, their heredity. It's not by the clothes they wear. It's not by the things that they, it's by the way they love one another and by the power of the Holy Spirit present in their lives. Now, the first one uh, in John uh, 13, uh, I've spent a lot of time with that on Monday, Thursday. You'll have to go back and get the tape. (laughs) So I'll stick with the second one. What does it mean to have the power of the Holy Spirit present in a person's life? And this is where the lesson from Acts comes in. Peter's going out, and um, he has this, uh, well, before he even goes out, one night he goes to sleep, and he has this dream. And in this dream... God, at the end of it, says, listen, I want you to go down to a city called Joppa, and I want you to preach to some people there. And Peter gets up, and he does what he's told, and he goes to Joppa, and he's preaching to people, and they happen to be Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And in Acts chapter 10, the the writer Luke says this, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard, right as Peter is preaching. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They had not signed up for Judaism. They had not agreed to dietary restrictions. 
They had not learned about all the laws of ancient Israel. But the Holy Spirit came anyway. Why? Because they trusted in Jesus. They believed in Jesus and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. And so Peter is charged later. He says, hey, you know, that he goes back and the apostles in Jerusalem say, Peter, the word's out that you are having a pulled pork sandwich down in, uh, in Joppa when you were there. You know, um, what's with this? And Peter's answer is, listen, God is doing a new thing. He doesn't really, it's not really about Jew and Gentile anymore. It's about the love that we have for all people and about the Holy Spirit coming and being poured out into the lives of His people. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In Acts chapter 10, they all begin to speak in tongues. So does that mean everybody has to be speaking in tongues? No, not necessarily. I mean, maybe you do. That'd be great. But that's not what the Holy Spirit is about. Not about that one particular gift. When the Holy Spirit comes, I think some, some particular things happen. And this bears out throughout the Scripture. But first thing is that there is a hunger for holiness. Whenever God comes into our lives, whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, the thing that we receive is not some, something different than God. It is the very life of God. The Holy Spirit is God. The, the third person of the Trinity, very God. If we use the language that we use in the Nicene Creed, very God from very God. The Holy Spirit comes upon us. It makes us hungry for God's way of life, hungry for moral purity, that we might be like God. Now, I don't know what, what you think of when you think of moral purity. I have some friends who think that it means like no fun, you know. There it is, you know, dour. You know, that's, not, that's not moral purity. Moral, moral purity is about embracing the, the way of God, that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. That's moral purity. And when the Holy Spirit comes, there's life. There's real life. There's an awareness of, I'm alive. I'm alive in God that I was dead and now I'm alive. It's about relationship, right? This awareness that, that I have a relationship with the living God. I can talk to Him. And I think He hears me. In fact, I know He hears me. That when I pray, it's not like I'm just talking to a piece of wood. I'm talking to the living God who's aware of it. He has regenerated me, a biblical word, made me to be alive in Him. And thirdly, I think when the Holy Spirit comes, there is power. Real power in our lives. And and it's manifest in these believers in Joppa, these Gentile believers, in that they begin to speak in tongues. And and a lot of people are drawn to that outward sort of manifestation. But that's not the only gift. There's a gift of of, of preaching, of teaching, of, of healing, of serving, of welcoming and hospitality. All the gifts that St. Paul talks about in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and in, in Romans chapter 12 and in Ephesians chapter 4, these gifts of the Spirit are poured out upon the church so that we might be equipped to go into the world and make a difference, to reconcile the world to God. Everyone knows what it feels like um, to feel like we don't fit in. You know, like, are they going to welcome me? Do I belong? Do I have a place? So we dress a certain way, maybe. We speak a certain way, maybe. Try not to split our infinitives and all that sort of stuff. Make sure our napkin's on our lap when we eat. All that so that we are welcome. You know, affirm me. Tell me I belong. And all that is just fine, I suppose. 
But what does it mean to belong to God's community? What does it mean? It means that we have accepted Jesus Christ. And by doing that, we have accepted His command to love one another. Just like He loved us. And by accepting that command, and by accepting Him into our life, all of a sudden we're transformed. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon us. We're alive. We have a hunger for holiness. We have a desire to to make an impact in the world. And we have the power to do what He calls us to do. Here's the good news of the gospel, though. The good news of the gospel is that we're all wanted. And we're all welcomed. And we can all be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.